May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, how are we this morning? Anybody cold? I tell you, this morning on the riverbank, it was full-on winter, so be glad you're here now. Well, I, I thought I would begin our sermon this morning with a confession to all of you. I have what I would like to think as a healthy obsession and then a fear of ghosts. Does anyone else have this same uh, healthy fascination and then maybe a little fearful of the supernatural? Maybe. <laughs> well, it's, this works its way into my marriage with Ashley. As we, uh, as every now and again, we will get to go to a movie, dinner and a movie on a date night when we get that. And then we always have the, what kind of movie do you want to see? And I think we, we learned how to, one person picks one time and the next person picks the next. Except when it comes to scary movies. We, we tend to get to, Ashley might choose a romantic comedy, and then I might do, do a comedy or something a guy would prefer, some action-adventure. Every now and again, not, not a, like a slasher, horror type of movie, but a suspense to where you can get close to each other, hold each other's hands when, when the scary parts come. Every now and again, I will want, or I'll propose that we go see one of those, and she's like, no way, mister, that is just not my cup of tea. And then she does, though, let me, Sunday nights, we have a guilty pleasure, which is the closest we have come to watching something scary together, and that is The Walking Dead on Sunday evenings. Yeah, she lets me watch it, but she says, yeah, I'm giving you one here. You owe me. So you know what happens when those types of things start working into our mindsets? We get a little jittery and things... and. That can happen in real life in a lot of different circumstances. I don't know if you know this past Thursday, we, early on Thursday mornings at 6.30 in the morning, we have a Eucharist, which a small group of people come to. And as you probably heard outside, picture pure black, no lights are on yet. And then that howling of the wind and those bells that are in that tree when you walk forward, it's, it's a little eerie. And when you look, I, I, like I'm looking around for banshees outside when, when that happens. But th when I arrived this coming Thursday, it was dark. I was getting ready for things. And I rounded the corner over there at the office. And lo and hold, there was Bill Morrow, our own Bill Morrow. And it, I just saw this figure. And I tried to act as strong and courageous as I could. But I let out a little, ugh, like... And I w I, it was scary. It was, it was very scary. So, Bill, thank you for the good, the heart going on that morning. But that's something to ponder as we think about those types of situations which we can be scared and our bodies kind of tense up like that. Isn't it a bit creepy? We celebrated Easter and continue to celebrate Easter, but somebody coming back from the grave and appearing suddenly. If we really think about that right now, it can be very scary. And I'll confess, like most of you, I have had loved ones that have passed on. And when I think about if they were just to suddenly appear, I would probably be terrified at 
first. And it wouldn't really matter how much I had loved that person or not, if they just appeared, uh, I would want to be set up for that. Slow set up, not a ta-da, I am here. (laughs) Ghosts are scary, whether we believe in them or not. So we can sympathize with the disciples this morning that we heard about from Father Ian. There they are gathered, the 12 disciples. Actually, at that point, it is 10. They are gathered in a locked room where they thought they were safe. Nobody could get in to harm them as they had just seen what their enemies had done to Jesus with the betrayal of one of his own, the trial, and the crucifixion. They did not want that as followers of Jesus to happen to them. So they were hidden away in this upper room. And all of a sudden, the eve of the resurrection, bam, Jesus just appears and is right there in their midst. Jesus was a loved one who they had seen die. They had seen him dying on the cross, his body laid in the tomb, and now a few days later, there he is in the flesh amongst them. No warning, no knock at the door, just here I am. Now, something like that under any circumstance for us would be pretty a shock to the system. But imagine taking it just a little bit further if that someone that had just appeared uh, with back into your presence from beyond the grave, if it was someone that you had actually greatly offended before they had passed on. Just before they died, what kind of things would you think if, they, if you had offended that person? If this person was back from the dead to haunt me, would you question that? Are they here to get revenge on something I did while they were still alive? Think back to WDTDD. What did the disciples do just before, just before the death of Jesus? Think about it. They abandoned him. They left him to his enemies. And one of them, his supposed best friend, denied him three times. The other disciples would deny him in other forms. And they left him to die and suffer alone all the way till the bitter end. They failed him. And now here, all of a sudden, back from the dead among them with no warning. You can put yourself In that place, you can imagine how anxious or worried the disciples gathered must have been. In Luke's account, we had John's this morning, but in Luke's account of the same story, it's an incident where Jesus comforts his disciples after that shocking appearance, and he got them accustomed to his presence by sharing a meal something that they would have done naturally while they were together. As they, most of the disciples were fishermen, Jesus sat down and had fish with them in Luke's account of this story. He would eat this fish before and with them, and that was enough to convince them that this wasn't a ghost. But Jesus was truly bodily raised from the dead because ghosts don't eat. I mentioned movies to start us off, and one of my all-time classic, somewhat scary, but mostly funny movies is Ghostbusters. 
And I'm not talking the new one with all the, the remake with all the girls and the hot office manager. That, I can't stand that one. <laughs> I'm talking authentic Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and my favorite, the little ghost Slimer. I don't know if you remember this little green ghost, but he's flying around a hotel in one of the scenes in the movie, this little ugly green thing, they call him Spud. They, they have a friendship with him. And he finds a, uh, a tray with food on it left outside of somebody's room. And so he thinks, oh, looks good, I'll eat. And as he is eating food, it's just falling right through his body because he doesn't have a physical body. And then he finds a leftover glass of wine. He does the same, it's a bottle and it's just pouring through him. They have, those types of ghosts, have no need or the ability to consume things. But Jesus, as we hear him eating fish with his disciples, just more proof that is the physical body of Jesus back amongst them. But he's no ghost. He is bodily raised from the dead. Now that's the main point in Luke's gospel. And what Father Ian read us this morning in John's gospel, Jesus still eats some fish with his boys. But the main thing he does to console his disciples here was by addressing those fears we mentioned earlier of what Jesus might think or do at their betrayal. But he surprises them by this statement, peace be with you. And after that, he showed them the wounds in his wrists and in his sides. Now, how do you think those words landed on the ears of the disciples in that upper room on that evening? What might they have expected Jesus to say to them? Something like, I am risen from the grave and have come back to haunt you. Or would he say something to the effect of, how dare you abandon me? How could you have left me to those that would lead me to my death? Or would he say, revenge is going to be sweet? But that is not what the disciples hear at all. Instead, they hear the phrase, peace be with you. I don't know a better or more concise way that Jesus could have expressed this. And that simple and yet profound statement, Jesus sums up all of the forms of reconciliation and forgiveness. Yes, you abandoned me, but it is forgotten. It is water under the bridge. You left me to those that would lead me to my death. You failed me, but I will never fail you. All of that is in the past now. I did away with it on my cross so that we are now at peace and nothing can come between us. And bound up with Jesus' words of peace are the visible demonstration that he gives. He shows the wounds in his wrists and the spear mark in his side. Now in blessing his disciples with peace, Jesus would have lifted up his hands like this. We read that this is what he did when he ascended into heaven. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them as a group of people. And if you have ever, as we will see in a moment with a baptism, or if you have ever gone through confirmation 
the blessing of the group with the hands like this comes individually to a head. And I also got to experience that personally at ordination as a bishop would lay his hands upon me and pray me into the sacred order of priests. That's how blessing for a group like this and personally on the head is some, we could do a whole class on actually how you bless and how, where it comes from in the Bible. But these, the blessing is not just actions and not simply words. It's really granting the genuine blessing and peace of the gospel of Christ. Showing the palms and blessing with the peace of God, as we will also exchange the peace in a little while. That's what Jesus was doing. But there is something special to consider when Jesus blesses. His hands, are there, as they are lifted up in blessing, can be seen through. And not seen through because he's some sort of ghost, but because he was bodily raised. And as we know, what the nails, as they pierced him and would hold him fast to the cross. And that is where he purchased our peace. So when Jesus lifts his hands in blessing and says, peace be with you, He's actually showing you the source of where actual peace comes from. And because of his wounds suffered on our behalf, because he has suffered and died as payment for our sins, there is no wrath any longer for us. We are all free by his sacrifice and the peace that he grants to all of us. Because of that, we have peace with Christ. We have peace with God and we have peace with one another. That's why I think when we read in John's gospel, we hear that then they were glad when they saw the Lord. At first, they were terrified and did not know what to think. But as he would say, peace be with you. And as, he saw, as they would see that their Savior had returned by the physical evidence that they started experience the very peace that we talk about this morning. Now, there's probably no emotional substitute for being one of the disciples in that room on that evening. There's probably no time in history that people, a group of people, could have been happier that they were reunited with their Savior. The mission that they had spent three and a half years of their life with Christ on suddenly looked like it had come to an end and they were lost. But then in his return, they were found with a new power going forward. Even so, the peace that Jesus gave to them when they were in that locked upper room, it was not reserved just for that time and that place. Jesus intended that everyone, the whole world, would hear of his wounds and everyone would hear of his death on behalf of the world that all may have peace with God through faith in him. And so Jesus said a second time, peace be with you. Again, as the Father has sent me, so I also send you. So how did the Father send Jesus out? By granting peace to the disciples through the forgiveness of their sins. But now as God has sent Jesus to bring that peace, so now Jesus is sending the disciples to bring that same peace 
to others through the forgiveness of their sins. So now Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So the disciples, on the strength of this commission from Christ, went out as a blessing of peace to all who would hear the gospel, the word of God. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding upon the forgiveness of our sins and the new life granted to us through that. And the type of peace, this type, God's peace, comes not only to those that saw the risen Christ on that evening, just as Jesus says to our famous doubting Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. Because of the finished work of the cross, what we still celebrate in this season of Easter, the same peace that Jesus granted to his disciples in that locked room is now your peace through faith in Christ Jesus. A taste of that peace will be given to you, both as we celebrate here momentarily, we welcome a new daughter into our house of worship and our faith, as well as coming to have the sacrament of Holy Communion. Let us rejoice in this peace, the peace the disciples had when they saw their Savior again, the peace and reconciliation with God and this peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen.